It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Smith rifles that one to Mims. And that's a foot race. He's going to win. Touchdown, Baylor. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Five straight games, Anthony, where he's got a touchdown catch of over 20. That's to the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Donald escapes, trying to buy himself some time. Fires, end zone, it's caught. Incredible play by Donald. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know and that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studio, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And we're doing a little something different. Normally, it's midweek with Manish. But during training camp, it's going to be off day with Manish because Chris Nimbley is at training camp giving us our daily training camp reports. But now with the day off, we turn to the man who covers the Jets for the New York Daily News, Mr. Manish Mehta. Manish, what's going on, sir? How you doing, Scott? How you been? I'm doing well, though I'm not sure that I'm quite as excited as some of Jets' Twitter was when Mike Lombardi tweeted out that the Jets were seriously in on trying to get Yannick and Gakwe. Since then, we haven't heard much, and I know that you and Rich Semini, to name two people, have come out and said that there's not much to this. What's going on here? <laughs> Look, I, I, don't, I can't speak to where other reporters uh, get their information. I can just tell you... Uh, you know, as you just alluded to, you know, my understanding the day that story uh, came up uh, earlier in the week was that the Jets were not involved in any kind of discussions at that point. Uh, you, know, it, you always have to put a qualify on, on it because you never know when uh, a team can jump into negotiations. But uh, at the time of that story, uh, you know, I looked into it and I was, you know, told pretty clearly that the Jets were not involved. Uh, you know, they had not. Uh, been involved in any kind of discussion and no, no trade was imminent. I mean, that's just from a jet perspective. Uh, again, I can't speak to where other reporters get their information. Now, all of that being said, Scott, you and I have had some, you know, fairly, uh, you know, intense discussions about whether the jets should actually go after Yannick Ngakwe. And, and I fully believe that they do, uh, that they, they'd be better served if they went after him. Uh, you clearly, have pointed out that uh, you don't think it's worth uh, taking the, the risk, giving up a first or second round pick for a guy you can lose after this season. So it would have uh, been a, a terrific, uh, you know, second discussion if the Jets actually did trade for Ngakwe. I would have uh, agreed with it. I know you you wouldn't have, but uh, again, my understanding is that there is, you know, there are no negotiations, uh, you know, at least as of a, a couple days ago, and uh, I don't think any kind of deal. Uh, involving Ngakwe and the Jets is imminent at all. So we'll see how this shakes out with Yannick Ngakwe, but from what you're hearing, it's not anything that is going to be happening anytime soon, and a couple of other people have said that as well. But certainly, they're in the market for wide receiver. We know they're bringing in Kevin White for a workout, and you're desperate when you're bringing in Kevin White. Are there any other names we should look out for? Is there a possibility of a trade, maybe even something low-key, like a late conditional pick? Remember, last year, Manish, they did that with Nate Hairston, so maybe they could do something like that for a wide receiver that a team has. Maybe they're going to sit back in the weeds and wait for a late cut. What's going to happen here? Because it just doesn't seem like they're going to stand pat. Yeah, I don't think they feel they can, uh, given, I think, the overall lack of quality and some of these injuries. 
uh, Denzel Mims, uh, which you know we can talk about in a minute, uh, hasn't been on the field for a week, and uh, I, I think that Braxton Berrios had a personal issue. He missed practice briefly, but that's not a physical thing. Uh, and then Vincent Smith, obviously, is now out for up to two months with that core uh, muscle surgery after he got hurt uh, early in training camp. So you know they're thin in terms of numbers, uh, in terms of overall quality. Uh, you know, Mims is really the guy that you, you really need to focus on. And, again, we can dive deep in, into that in a minute. But in terms of guys coming in, uh, Kevin White, the guy you know, clearly has a pedigree coming out of West Virginia. He was in that Leonard Williams draft taken uh, shortly after the, the Jets took Leonard Williams. But he, I think he has fewer than 30 catches in his career. He, you know, he's been dealing with injuries, hasn't been healthy. So uh, that's just kind of a – a look-see, a flyer, let's see you know, how he works out. He's not the only one working out. Dante Moncrief, uh, who was also a premium round draft pick for the Colts, uh, I want to say back in 2015, uh, he bounced around a little bit after a few years in Indianapolis. He was briefly with Pittsburgh, and then last year split time with a couple teams, including Carolina. Uh, he's a guy who, uh, again, uh, if, if these guys pass their COVID tests, are going to get tryouts. Uh, DeAndre Tompkins is another guy who had been the XFL uh, he's another guy who's going to work out. So they're kicking the tires on a bunch of guys because of uh, you know, the, the overall lack of depth and quality. And, and, Scott, I know that you and I talked about this in the run-up to the draft. We talked about it after the draft. And you and I, I think, were in lockstep in, in thinking that the Jets probably should have drafted more than one wide receiver. You knew going into this season uh, that that was an area of need. You had a bunch of picks. You acquired more picks along the way in the draft because Joe Douglas made some trades. But you ultimately only drafted one wide receiver in Denzel Mims. I thought the Jets made uh, they made an error. I thought that at the time uh, you know, they went in a few directions in that draft that I thought were puzzling, I guess. Uh, they would have been better served taking some wide receivers that you and I had discussed back then. I, I believed it then. I believe it now. I think it's it's pretty clear now that the Jets are trying to you know bring in uh, better pieces because they've kind of gotten an early look at what they have and aren't overly thrilled, regardless of what they say publicly. Uh, in terms of uh, maybe trading for a guy, if a guy gets cut, uh, you know, who knows if a guy gets cut uh, that's unexpected because it's such an unusual offseason. There's no preseason games to, you know, do some scouting uh, and and maybe picking up a diamond in the rough that gets, uh, you know, gets cut uh, in early September. So I can't tell you if there's a, you know, a trade in the works or a guy that they could get, uh, if, if he shakes free, because frankly, I don't think the Jets even know who's going to shake free right now. Uh, and even if you bring in a, you know, a, a guy at that time, let's be honest, it's it's not going to be an, an impact player. It's going to be a guy uh, who's going to provide some depth. Uh, but again, I think the big question is Denzel Mims, Vincent Smith. Yeah, I, look, I think that guy could have been a you know a fifth wide receiver, maybe a sixth wide receiver, but that's really the caliber of player you're talking about. This isn't going to be. Uh, this wasn't going to be an impact guy, and he's going to miss a couple months. It's unfortunate. It does hurt the Jets' overall depth, but uh, I don't think you can make excuses if the wide receivers don't do well uh, because Vincent Smith isn't playing. You know, Denzel Mims is a guy to keep an eye on. I definitely think the Jets should have taken a second wide receiver, like you said. The name that popped out at me at the time was Brian Edwards of South Carolina, who's apparently doing very well at Raiders training camp. I think you can make a very strong case the Jets should have taken him over Jabari Zaniga in the third round. But 
I didn't think that that was necessarily going to be a move for 2020. I saw it more as a long-term move because usually a rookie picked in the mid-rounds at wide receiver is not going to make a huge impact year one. I think what this really shows more than anything else is that the Jets should have brought back Robbie Anderson because Perriman only cost $6 million on a one-year deal. Robbie Anderson didn't even get that much and didn't get a long-term commitment. If they had Robbie Anderson and Perriman right now, they'd be in much better shape. I totally agree with you, and I can tell you that the Jets were never thinking of that. So that's not even that wasn't even part of their thought process. It was always plan A, Robbie Anderson, plan B, Brashard Perryman, uh, plan C, was Philip Dorsett, uh, you know, it may be some other guys as well, but clearly their first choice was to bring back Robbie Anderson for obvious reasons. You don't have to be a scout or a general manager or a coach to see that Robbie Anderson and Sam Darnold had a good connection, a growing connection. Uh, neither one of those guys are pro bowlers. Neither one is an all-pro, but clearly there were two young players who were developing a rapport over a period of two years. And, and look, it takes time to develop a chemistry. And I know that training camp is uh, typically a time around the NFL to, to be op- super optimistic and this guy's going to be great, that guy's going to be awesome. And uh, Brashard Perryman you know, gets a catch and run on a, on a slant in practice uh, for 80 yards and takes it to the house after a blown coverage by, I believe, Arthur Millette. And people get excited and uh, – you know, I, look, I, I think if you're a fan, you should be happy and you should hope that uh, the Darnold-Perryman connection works. But you also have to be realistic. This takes time. Developing chemistry with a wide receiver and a quarterback doesn't happen overnight. There's trial and error. error. Uh, there are preseason games. There's a practice time. And then there's regular season games where you have to be in sync. And sometimes it takes, you know, a month, a month and a half, Half a season, sometimes it takes a year, sometimes it takes longer than a year uh, because there's a lot of nuances that each guy has to understand of the other guy. So I just don't think it's frankly fair to Brashard Perryman. I don't think it's fair to Sam Darnold uh, to expect this, you know, hit the ground running type of magical connection in 2020. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe it happens and it does happen from time to time, but typically, uh, you know, history has shown us that when a receiver goes from one team to another, there is you know a bit of a learning curve there. And because it's been such an unusual off season, uh, where Perryman didn't even get on a practice field with Sam Darnold in, uh, until uh, you know a couple months ago when they had a few days in Florida. And you know, I mean, that's you know that's valuable to a certain degree, but it's not like having a full spring, having a full OTA session. Uh, where you can kind of start working out the chemistry between the receiver and the quarterback. They're just starting to do that now in training camp, and before you know it, the regular season is going to begin. So, uh, you know, I'm with you. Uh, If they really, truly were intrigued by Brashard Perryman's skill set, and clearly uh, Joe Douglas was because he knew him in the run-up to the draft in Baltimore, then there was easily a way to bring back Robbie Anderson and sign Brashard Perryman. Now, I didn't say that at the time, so that's not something, you know, full disclosure, that I was advocating for, but you presented this option, and I think that you know would have been re- very smart. And at the very least, I think they should have brought back Robbie Anderson. The, the, the difference in money was not that much. Uh, I didn't agree with the decision to let Robbie walk then. I don't agree with it now. And... Uh, 
uh, I think the Jets are going to be, you know, fighting, uh, you know, an uphill battle here with these wide receivers and Darnold because I, I was optimistic that Denzel Mims could provide a contribution right away, uh, in, in a in a limited sense, but still in an important sense, and because Mims has been out with a, what is believed to be a mild hamstring strain, I mean, that, that's well, that's what the team thinks. I just I don't I do understand them being overly cautious with him. Uh, I also understand Denzel Mims obviously must be frustrated because he's not getting this valuable time to work with his quarterback, and he's a rookie and he needs this time as much as anyone. So it's an unfortunate situation all around. Uh, you know, every, every indication I've gotten from the building is that Denzel Mims' injury is not really serious, uh, but at the same time, they don't want to risk him potentially injuring it to a point where it becomes serious. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress, and that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hoopin' with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hoopin' with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Manish, people are naturally nervous when they see a wide receiver who has a lingering hamstring injury, so you have to keep your fingers crossed that this is just something that'll be cleared up in a couple of days and Mims will be back. He's one of the big names that's injured right now. The other two are Avery Williamson and Pierre Desir, two key starters on the defense. What are we hearing about those two and the rest of the injuries that are going on right now? Well, look, Avery Williamson, his, his recovery from ACL surgery uh, is you know, not something that should be uh, marginalized. And I know that in this day and age, 
uh, guys come back from ACL tears uh, much quicker than they did, you know, 10 years ago even. And the, the first guy to defy logic, if you will, was Adrian Peterson when he tore his ACL, I believe, in a playoff game and then <laughs> ran for, I don't know if he ran for 2,000 yards the next year, whatever it was, he was phenomenal that ensuing season. And then from that point forward, running backs who were getting ACL injuries were coming back much sooner than they had the decade before. And now it almost seems like that should be the expectation. And then when you look at the timetable for Avery Williamson, this is a guy who got injured in the preseason. So he got injured uh, a while back. And so uh, there's, there's this expectation. And I think that it's unfair that because a guy got injured in the summer of last summer, that he should be fine by week one. Everything should be fine. Now, clearly he's not fine. He's still on PUP. Guys recover from ACL injuries at different rates. Uh, I believe Avery said that he had a clean ACL, so he didn't have meniscus damage. Uh, and look, I'm not a professional athlete, but I tore my ACL. I had severe meniscus damage, and it took a long time for me to recover. And again, I'm not a professional athlete. I'm not comparing myself. I'm just giving uh, you know, people just a, a little window into the fact that this is a very serious injury, whether you're an athlete or not an athlete. And guys have different timetables for recovering. There's a a physical component to it in terms of strengthening your quads and your hamstrings. And uh, perhaps equally important, there's a mental component to it as well, because you have to trust yourself that you can cut uh, like you cut before uh, the injury, that you can make those lateral movements to start and stop. Uh, and that's a big hurdle. And I'm not saying that's the hurdle that Avery Williamson is currently dealing with. I'm just saying that's uh, typically what happens when you have an ACL injury. You have to not only get yourself right physically, but there is a mental side to that. And, uh, you know, we got an indication from Adam Gase that a lot of these guys who have not been on the field for various reasons uh, will be will start showing up next week. I'm not saying Avery Williamson is going to be one of those guys, but if he does, in fact, show up, it's going to be gradual. He's going to be working on the side with trainers, and then he'll be eased into individual drills. And then uh, hopefully for his sake and for the team's sake, he gets into team drills before the season actually begins because it is such a accelerated offseason. Uh, but uh, you know, structurally, I, I don't believe there's anything wrong with Williams' knee. Uh, at least you know, I, I haven't delved into it, but I haven't gotten any kind of indication uh, from people that, that there's a physical issue yet uh, that isn't, the you know you know that that isn't normal if you will in the recovery uh maybe i'm wrong you know maybe there is uh you know there, there have been physical setbacks but i do know that he does have to clear not only the physical component but the mental component and he's going to be relied on this is a guy scott you and i've talked about that this is a guy who the jets were looking to trade he was on the trade block for the better part of a year and uh you know the i believe he was on the trade block actually before he got injured but uh, he certainly was on the trade block this off season. It's hard to, you know, trade for a guy who's coming off an ACL who's getting six, seven million dollars. So that didn't happen. And, and then the luck of the draw, I guess, because C.J. Mosley opts out, the Jets need him. And I think Avery Williamson actually alluded to that a few weeks back when he said, "It's funny how the NFL works. You know, you think that maybe your future with the team is in doubt, and then uh, because of circumstances beyond your control, your value to the team now becomes." Uh, you know, uh, stronger. And that's kind of where the Jets are with Avery Williamson. So they're going to need him, I think. I know that Greg Williams did a really good job last year without Williamson and C.J. Mosley. But, uh, you know, he, he's a quality player. He's a he's a really good player against a run. That has always been his calling card, dating back to his days in Tennessee. 
and I think he can be an important player for this team if he's fully healthy. Uh, I just don't know when that's going to happen. I think Desir is actually something that also is extremely important because remember, Scott, this is a player who struggled last year because of hamstring problems, and, and people thought, okay, he's going to get healthy and he's going to get right this year. He's primed for a bounce-back season because he is a quality player, and now he hasn't even been on the field because of a hamstring issue. So you know, hamstring issues are not issues to mess with, uh, you know, as you know, we just talked about Denzel Mims. You want to be cautious. You want to be you know, conservative. But because of this weird timeline this offseason, you also want a guy like Desir to be in Greg Williams' defense, you know, to be in practices and be in 11-on-11s, and that hasn't happened. So we'll see if he starts coming back this uh this week with some of these other guys. Uh, we haven't even talked about Brian Poole. He's another starter mm-hmm. in the secondary who hasn't practiced because of dehydration. And dehydration has been an issue. You know, dehydration, conditioning, you know, however you want to frame it. If you remember, Scott, last training camp, uh, I think Brian Poole actually missed uh, a few days early because of some similar health issues, uh, whether it's conditioning, dehydration, whatever it is. You know, that's something that I don't think is going to be a long-term problem. But, again, you want two of your cornerbacks who are projected to be starters on, out on the field in the first week of training camp, and the Jets haven't had that. Manish, I know it's not the sexiest topic on planet Earth, but there have been kicking problems again at camp. This is a recurring theme that we've seen pop up for the Jets over the last couple of years. I know that it's going to be tough to land anybody that's going to make a difference at that position this late in the game. But have you heard anything about them looking outside of what they already have with Marr and Ficken? Well, I think they're always looking, uh, and that's not the company line because I don't work for the Jets. <laughs> but I, I think when you're talking about kicking and when you're talking about, you know, the, the let's let's face it, the nightmarish experience that the Jets had with kickers last year, you're always kind of out. You're always on the lookout. Uh, but there are no preseason games, and I keep coming back to this because it's important for a number of different reasons. Uh, we haven't even talked about undrafted free agents, how that's going to be. Uh, difficult for them, no having no preseason. It's going to be difficult for new guys, whether it's Pierre Desir, whether it's Bashard Perryman, uh, and it's going to be different for kickers as well because you want a kicking competition. I know it's preseason. I know the intensity isn't what it is for a regular season game, but a preseason game with actual fans in the stands is a much different environment than practice. You know, kicking in Florham Park, and, and you want to see how guys react when they're actually competing in a game environment, even if it is a preseason game. So the Jets are going to miss out on that. Uh, it's really unfortunate because I mean, I'm sure you've talked about this in a number of different podcasts. The Jets uh, special teams group as a whole has been really good. It just, it feels like the, the kicker is holding them back. You know, I think that they're going to take a significant step forward in their punting game because of Braden Mann, And you and I've talked about that. You know how much of a fan I am of Braden Mann. uh, but the kicking situation is, it's almost trial and error. It's almost, let's see what happens week one. Uh, I, you know, they're going to make a decision, obviously, before the regular season begins, before they go to the Buffalo. But, uh, you know, I think if everyone in that building had their druthers, they would want to see these guys actually compete in preseason games to find out uh, who can handle and who's their best option. Uh, and then you also get an opportunity to watch kickers on other teams in preseason games. So if there's an unexpected cut and there seems to be Every year, one or two kickers, quality kickers, experienced kickers that get cut maybe because there's a young guy uh, on that team who beats them out, who makes less money, and then you can pluck a, a veteran off the waiver wire. Uh, teams do that routinely. Obviously, the Jets did that last year. 
So maybe the Jets kicker for week one isn't even on the roster. Maybe someone does get cut unexpectedly, even without these preseason games. But uh, it was such an annoyance. I can tell you that uh, you know you knew publicly, you know, hearing uh, some of these guys talk about it. But I can tell you privately, it was such an annoyance for this franchise last year to deal with the kicker issues. And uh, it's one of those things where you don't realize how important it is. You I mean you know you know it's important. You know these guys. Uh, who make decisions in this building have been football lifers. Uh, so you know the kicker is important, but it's such an easy position just to disregard. And it's not a problem until it becomes a problem. And then when it becomes a problem, it becomes so glaring. It becomes the focal point of the conversation. And it becomes really a, a topic that you don't want to deal with because with all due respect to kickers, they're just kickers. They're valuable, but you don't want a constant headache at that position. And that's exactly what happened with the Jets last year. And uh, you know, hopefully for the franchise's sake, it doesn't happen this year. But not having a preseason, uh, again, makes it uh, just another potential issue that's looming for this team. Manish, last order of business, and it's not Jets-specific, but I did think it was interesting, and you and I talked about it before we started recording, this Joe Judge nonsense. I don't understand why this has even become a topic. Apparently, there are some people, including Emmanuel Acho, who went on Fox Sports and said that the Giants are going to go 2-14, and 14, and it's because Joe Judge is making his players run laps. And then I know Elliot Shore <laughs> Parks, who writes for somebody in Philly, I'm not even sure who, came out and said that Daniel Jones needs to speak up against this tyranny. I don't understand any of this because, Manish, Joe Judge is not the first coach to make these guys run laps. He won't be the last one. I'm not saying the Giants are going to be good. I'm not saying that what Joe Judge is doing is going to work. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. Maybe the Giants will be good, maybe they won't. They're not going to be good or bad because Joe Judge makes them run laps. I actually think this is hilarious because Judge is making himself and the other coaches run laps if they mess up. So he's holding himself to the same standard as the players. And as far as I'm aware, this is the type of thing that Saquon Barkley would actually really be in on because that's his mentality. He believes in hard work and being held accountable. So if the best player on the team is fine with it, which I have to assume he is, then I don't think this is a big deal. I'm sure there are plenty of players that don't love running laps, but you've covered tons of training camps and a bunch of different coaches for the Jets. And of course, obviously, you're plugged in around the NFL. Am I crazy or is this ridiculous? Uh, you are not crazy. It is ridiculous. Uh, and if the Giants, as you said, struggle, if they do go 2-14, and 14, it's because they don't have the players. It, it's not because in August they were uh, running penalty laps for mistakes. And what I thought was interesting, and I didn't even know this, Scott, until you, you said it before the podcast when we were just talking about it, uh, I didn't realize that Joe Judge and the coaches were also running laps if they you know, made coaching errors. And so he's holding himself accountable. Uh, it's not a big deal at all. I saw Rex Ryan uh, have his guys run gassers if they made mistakes uh, after practice. Uh, They did his penalty push-ups for a while when they were flagged, uh, you know, when they were doing 11-on-11 drills in practice. Uh, It's a a little bit of discipline. Discipline is good uh, when it's not uh, overboard. And let's be honest – Penalty laps is not going overboard. Uh, he, he's not taking these egregious measures to you know, instill the Joe Judge way. He's trying a little bit of discipline because he obviously feels that that discipline was lacking last year. And uh, this is fine. It's professional football. 
Now, he, he's not. He's, these guys are still taking water breaks, right? They're still taking breaks if uh, they've got heat exhaustion. Uh, just running and jogging around the field because he made a mistake, uh, I think it sends a message. Frankly, I think it sends the right message without being, uh, you know, overly. Uh, uh, I don't even know what the word is. I, I just don't think it's crossing the line. I think it's well within the line. I think it's probably a smart thing for a new coach coming in with a new staff and a new philosophy. Uh, I think it's, it's, it makes a lot of sense to kind of let people know, look, we're not messing around. I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a crazy man, but if you make a mistake, you know, you should, you should run a lap. And I remember, I don't remember if it was Rex or Todd Bowles, but part of the reason for running these penalty laps was to let everybody know, Hey, look, I made a mistake and this isn't going to be swept under the rug. Uh, you know, this was an error. Uh, I'm going to, you know, pay the penalty. And the penalty, frankly, lasts, I don't know, two minutes, three minutes, however long it takes to jog around a football field. And everybody knows that you made the mistake. I, I do actually come to think of it. I do think it was Rex that took that approach that he, you know, he, he wants to embarrass you without, you know, without really, without it being uh, so serious. You know, yes. Are you embarrassed if you're running around? The field, yeah, because everybody knows you're only doing that because you made a mistake. But is it such uh, an egregious level? Uh, no, it's, it's not. I, I think it makes a lot of sense, to be honest with you. Uh, I think this notion that it's going to have any kind of impact uh, when the season starts is, is laughable. Frankly, I don't think it has an impact uh, five minutes after it happens in terms of uh, you know a player being mad at a coach and not wanting to play for a coach or not wanting to play for a team. If anything, it motivates a guy to not want to do that, so he doesn't make mistakes. So, again, I think it's a question that needs to be asked when you first see it as a reporter. Uh, you certainly have to ask the head coach about it. You ask some of the players. You probably ask some of the players who actually had to run those laps, and you get their you know position on, on, on the matter, and then you move on. I don't think you make a federal case out of it because, frankly, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I agree, Manish. I think the whole thing is ridiculous. It seems to me that it's nothing new, and it's certainly nothing that we won't see again. So I'm not really sure why people are making a federal case out of it. Manish Mehta covering the Jets for the New York Daily News. Thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it, as always. I know you've got some stuff in the fire, some you can talk about, some you can't. But I know you do have one piece that's going to be up at the Daily News relatively soon about somebody who people that listen to this podcast know very well. Yes, I am uh, writing a story about Michael Nanya, uh, who is an extremely impressive young man. Uh, I think people who follow Michael on Twitter probably don't even realize how young he is. But, uh, you know, you see a lot of stuff on social media, and there's a lot of uh, you know, analysis sites and statistical sites. And Look, I, I've covered the team for a very long time, and uh, I started noticing, you know, Michael's uh, analysis and and really insight into the Jets a few years ago, I, you know, full disclosure, I thought he was just some 30-something, 40-something-year-old guy <laughs> who liked to do this uh, as a hobby after he got home from work, uh, maybe married with a couple kids. I did not realize he was as young as he was. And, and just speaking to him, I was thoroughly impressed. Uh, and I've known him for a while now, but, uh, you know, I, I spoke to him the other day for the first time outside of a couple podcasts we did, but, you know, for, for an interview. And uh, I am thoroughly impressed by, you know, just kind of his outlook, his, how he reimagines stats and how he presents information. Uh, I think he has a bright future. 
in whatever he chooses to do. He's obviously uh, started a, a website, Jet X Factor, with uh, Robbie Sabo, who helped develop the site. Uh, and that site is in its infancy, but uh, you know it's it's exceptional if you if you're into analytics and and you're a Jet fan and want to kind of look at the Jets through a different prism and, and a different lens. Uh, he's just an exceptional young guy. Uh, and, I, you know, it takes a you – know, I see a lot when it comes to statistics. I, you know, I run across a lot of websites and, and people who do that. And there's, there are some impressive people that I've come across over the past decade or so. But, uh, you know, I would say that, you know, Michael Nania is one of the most impressive uh, people I have seen from just a pure analytic standpoint. And uh, I'm happy to share a story. So hopefully that comes out, you know, in the next week. Uh, I think Jet fans will like it because I don't think many people know that much about him other than his Twitter presence. And, uh, you know, again, just an exceptional young man who's got a, an amazing uh, a promise and I think an incredible future, perhaps in the NFL moving forward. I absolutely agree. And I'm thrilled to be able to have Michael on the podcast so often to break down those numbers and also proud to be able to call Michael a friend of mine. So when that story comes out, make sure that you read it in the Daily News and make sure that you're reading everything that Manish writes in the Daily News and following him on Twitter. If you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we would be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.